Hey, and welcome to the Scotts Hill Podcast. We are in a series on the book of Revelation where we are seeking what God's word says to us as the church right now. Each week of the series, we will go through large portions of scripture. So if you go to scottshill.org slash revelation, you will be provided a reader's guide to keep you on track with the passages from each week's sermon. We hope this series blesses you as we look forward to the imminent return of Christ. Good morning and welcome to Scottsdale. So glad that you're able to join us here today. If you're a first time guest, my name is Phil Ortigo. I serve as a senior pastor here and we're glad that you're able to join us today. For those of you watching us at home, thank you for inviting us into your home. Uh, We'd love to be there. I want to invite you to come and be with us at some time. We're in our fourth week as we've been studying the book of Revelation Um, And some of you are thinking right now, wow, he's gotten a platform really early today. Does that mean he's got an extra long message that we're going to be doing? Uh, No, this is you don't want to miss the end of this 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 time together because we have a special time of worship at the end of this. We want to engage your hearts in that as we prepare even now. But we want to help you to prepare yourself as you go through this study on the book of Revelation. You can go to our website and you can go to a special link that we have to stay in touch with all the resources that we have for the book of Revelation. You can go to scottsill.org backslash revelation. And what you'll find are listening guides. You'll find discussion guides. You'll find outlines. You'll find the reading plan. And we're putting a lot of this on you on the reading um, for the book of Revelation because we're going to be landing in a couple of spots. We're not going to necessarily do verse by verse all day today. We're going to focus a lot on that. But in the days ahead, we're going to pick up some speed. So you've got to read and you've got to catch up. And one thing that you can do to have a really good outline is if you have the YouVersion Bible app on your phone. You could go to the YouVersion Bible app, click on that, and on the bottom right-hand corner, you will find that there is a little box that says more. And if you click on more on the bottom right-hand corner, it'll come up with a list of things. One of those is events. You click on events, says Scott's Hill. You click on Scott's Hill, and you've had the Bible app on, the, the outline on your Bible app with all the answers, plus you get a lot of additional information that are not just on the listening guides. So that's just kind of a a public service announcement for you to keep up with where we're going as we keep studying the book of Revelation. Well, I grew up in a home where we grew up as Catholics. I'm from Louisiana, so we were Cajun Catholics. And my whole life, we went to the Catholic church until I was 18 years old. I went to confession. I went to confirmation. Every Saturday was confession. We had catechism. We had all of those things. I learned a lot about the nature of God's triune nature, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I mean, there was a thing that we did that always reminded us of that, the name of Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. We always did the sign of the cross. We were involved in a lot of different things, but I never really heard the gospel preached in a very clear way, and I didn't know much about the grace of God. I knew a lot about works. I knew a lot about rituals, but I never really understood an intimate relationship with Jesus and what worship was all about. I was a junior in high school, and this guy invited me, my older brother, and my cousin to a youth retreat one weekend. Now, here are these Cajun Catholics invited to go to a youth retreat with a bunch of Baptists. 
And uh, we've never been on a retreat before, and we've certainly never been with a group of Baptists for a whole weekend before. We didn't know the lingo. We didn't know the language. We didn't know the culture. We didn't know the behavior. So we packed our duffel bags for this youth retreat. And each one of us packed in our duffel bags a fifth of whiskey. And so we thought, hey, you know what? That's what life is like. We always said where there were four Cajuns, there was always a fifth. And so we kind of lived that way. So we go on this youth retreat and we've got this whiskey in, in our duffel bags. We didn't know. And, and we get there and, and the boys, the guys were in a dorm and the girls were in another dorm. And we had this big place where we met together and ate. We played a bunch of goofy games and things like that. But then in the evenings, things got kind of silly but serious. And then we'd meet in this big room together and they would sing these kind of crazy little songs and we'd sing it. And, and I didn't know any of the music because I was raised Catholic. I didn't know what they sang. It was the days before screens and projectors. So they gave these little handouts. For you don't know, that's a piece of paper with words on it, okay? And, uh, and we got these handouts and we'd sing these songs. I remember one of the songs was like, I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Makes a blame to walk and not blind to see. Opens prison doors, sets the captives free. I got a river of life flowing out of me. Spring up, oh well, goose, 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 goose. You know, and it was just kind of crazy stuff. And um, there's a reason I never tried out for American Idol. So, <laughs> so anyway, we, we, they're singing these songs, and then things get kind of serious. And they start singing all these serious songs, and then people start closing their eyes. And all these people start raising their hands. And I'm like, man, I have come to a cult. What am I doing here? And then this one guy, I'll never forget, Randy Jubin, just starts crying. I mean, he just starts bawling. He's standing there with his eyes. I'm looking at him from school. I know him from school, and he's just crying. I'm kind of inching my way away. And I'm thinking, am, am I going to be a sacrifice here tonight at this thing? And we're all looking at each other and just wondering, what is going on? And then all of a sudden, people start praying, and they start. To, then this guy gets up, and he says, anybody have a word? And for about an hour, people are just testifying, testifying. And then they call us to pray together. Everybody, let's pray. Everybody, let's pray. The only prayers I knew were the rosary. I mean, I'm standing there saying, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is... I, no, that doesn't fit. No. Um, um, well, maybe I should say what I do when I go to confession. Forgive me, Father, for it's been three months since my last confession. No, that doesn't fit either. And I, I couldn't connect. There was something missing. And I remember being in the dorm room that night. I'm laying on the top bunk. I'll never forget this. And I'm laying there and thinking, I don't get what these people are doing. I want to but I don't understand it and I cannot experience it. And then when we left, about a year later, I got invited back to that church. I went there on a Thursday night and there I gave my life to Christ. And then all of a sudden, I knew what they were talking about. I knew what worship was. And for the first time, I can enter into the presence of Almighty God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And from that point, I have not stopped this thing called worship. It should be the centerpiece of every believer's life. It should be the thing that, that encourages our hearts and unites us in an intimate relationship with the Father. It should be because worship is the central activity of the throne of God. And today, as we look at Revelation 4 and 5, what we're going to see is a picture of heavenly worship. 
We're going to see what worship is in heaven and what it should be even on earth. And as we look at this thing called worship, the word worship just simply means to ascribe worth to, to ascribe adoration to something that is worthy. And every person in this room worships something. We all ascribe worth to something. We're either going to ascribe worth to God, or we're going to ascribe worth to things, or we're going to ascribe worth to people, or we're going to ascribe worth to ourselves. We all worship something. But the centerpiece of all of heaven is a picture of incredible worship. Here's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to look at Revelation 4 and 5 this morning. And as we look at Revelation 4 and 5, I want to show you five reasons today from this passage that our God is worthy of our worship. And he alone should receive our worship. But then I'm going to close with two things that keep us from intimate worship with God. And so let's begin by reading Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on a throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Cornelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their head. From the throne come flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each with them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and they were created. Father, we ask today that you would speak to our hearts and give us a vision of what you want us to see about worship here and in your presence. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. As we read those 11 verses, I want to give you today five reasons that God is worthy of all of our worship. He is worthy for you and me to ascribe to him the glory that is due his name. Why is our God worthy? Why is he worthy? Number one, he is worthy because he is creator. 
He is worthy to be worshiped because he is the creator of all things that exist or ever will exist. Let's jump all the way to verse 11 of chapter 4. And John says, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. God is the ageless creator of life. We find this in the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God what? Created the heavens and the earth. Now, the thing about Genesis 1, 1, it's not in, God's not so interested in telling us how he did it, but that he did it. He is the creator, and he created everything from nothing. Only God can do that. We find eight times in Genesis 1, and he said, let there be light, and there was light. And he said, let there be a separation from day and night. And he said, let the waters be divided from the land. And he said, let the stars, and every subsequent word that God spoke, creation took place. And creation took place from nothing. And God did all of this with ease and without being overwhelmed. Isaiah chapter 40 reminds us of this. He says, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He is the ageless creator. He never is overwhelmed by anything he creates. His word is his creative utterance that goes forth and fulfills his purpose in action. When God says something, it is done. He is the ageless creator, and he is worthy of our worship. I want to tell you, we're living in a culture today where there was a time where we believed that. There was a time when people believed in an intelligent designer. But with the arise of Darwinian evolution and the impact that that has made in our culture and even in our schools today, more people will readily admit that evolution is a fact and an intelligent designer is simply faith. And there's a difference between the two. I mean, it used to be this, that we used to say that, that a frog plus a princess equals a handsome prince, and that was a fairy tale. Today we say a frog plus 10 billion years equals a handsome prince, and that's science. And yet, none of science supports evolution. None of it does. Listen, listen. The, 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 the life sciences do not promote evolution. There may be micro changes, but there is no macro evolution of one species completely turning into another species. We see that nowhere through the life sciences. We see nowhere in the earth sciences that there's any fossil record of macro evolution, one species turning into another species. We do not see that in the physical sciences. In fact, when you look at the physical science and you look at the data, it is an impossibility for things to evolve without an intelligent designer. And yet those who refuse to receive that there is a creator that's made everything are people who are left to worship themselves and left to worship the created things but never seeing a creator. But I want to tell you, those of us who know that there's a God, 
we see the depths and the power of his creation. Just consider the telescope. The telescope looking out into the galaxies and you see millions and millions of stars. Do you know that if light travels 186,000 miles per second, that if you wanted to travel across our galaxy, the Milky Way, it would take you traveling at the speed of light 125,000 years to get across our galaxy. And that's one of millions of galaxies. And yet our God has spoke every single one of them into being and he has named every star. He is worthy to be worshiped. Do you know if you look in the microscope, you see that one drop of water. If you could take the molecules that exist in one drop of water and you can expand every molecule to the size of a grain of sand, you can build a highway from Florida to California with one drop of water. And if you look at the human body, the trillions of cells that we have within of us, there's this little thing called irreducible complexity that that, that absolutely shook Darwin, and he could not grasp it. An irreducible complexity says this, that every cell is so created with such complexity that if one little part of it ceased to exist, the entire cell would fall, and there would be no life. And yet our God's the one who holds it all together. Every breath, God. Every heartbeat, God. Every little baby in his intricacies, God. Every sunset, God, every wave, God, every bird, God, every single thing you and I see has come from the goodness of our creator. And there's nothing, there's nothing in this world that does not have the mark and the fingerprint of the one who made it for his pleasure, including you. So just the fact that he's the creator of all things. And my life is derived from his own pleasure to drive me to worship him because of who he is. Well, see, he's worthy because he's creator. But secondly, he is worthy because he's in control. He's in control of all things. And we see in chapter four, verse one, John is writing, after this, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place afterwards. What must take place. He didn't say, now, John, I'm going to show you what's going to take place. I'm not going to tell you what will take place. I'm going to show you what must take place, which means this, that God is in control of all of history. These things have to take place in order to fulfill my purpose and my agenda for humanity and all of time. And I'm in control of all of these things. Then you go to verse 2. He says this, At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. The word throne appears 14 times in chapter 4. It appears 43 times in the book of Revelation. The throne is a place of power. It's a place of sovereignty. It's a place of control. And here's what God is showing John. That John, you're about to see some incredible things. You're about to see some horrible things. You're about to see the devastation of humanity that's going to be coming before your eyes. But here's what I want you to know. I'm on the throne. I'm in charge. And there's nothing that will ever happen in this world where I am not overseeing everything. 
You see, God wanted John to know that. Because of all the difficulties that are going to come to humanity, God has never lost sight of the control of his plan. I want to tell you, this is great news for a believer. Because we live in a world, don't we, that just seems to be out of control. We live in a world today where we're wondering, what is the world coming to? I can tell you what the world's coming to. It's coming to an end, and it's coming to an end at the control of Almighty God. And I want to tell you something. As a child of God, I don't need to fear anything. Doesn't matter what happens in the world. Doesn't matter what happens in our country. Doesn't matter what happens with our government. Doesn't matter what happens with the virus. God is in control. And because of that, I can absolutely worship him. And never have fear. Do you know that believers should be the most joyful, peaceful people on this planet? We should be. Because he's in charge of all things. And when I understand that he's creator and I can worship him and I understand that he's in control of all things, my fears become secondary and become very small. This past week, as I was looking up the word worship, I went to Webster's Dictionary and, and I was reminded of something I already knew, but I forgot it. If you go to Webster's Dictionary, you'll come to some words. For instance, when you come to the word worse, you think, okay, that's pretty bad. And then you go to the, another word, worst, which is just a little ways removed from the word worse. But you realize that the only way that you can go from worse to worst is to jump over worship. It's the only way. And I want to tell you, when we learn the significance of worship, and sitting in his presence, and that he's on his throne, and there's nobody that can remove him from his sovereignty, it brings me to a place of freedom and worship. Father, I don't know what's going to happen in my marriage, but I worship you. I don't know what's going to happen on my job, but you've seen the end from the beginning. I'm going to worship you. And as Job even said, even though you slay me, still will I worship you. See, he's worthy of our worship because he's creator. He's worthy of our worship because he's in control. But thirdly, he is worthy of our worship because he keeps his covenant. I love this picture that we see in the throne room. We see is that he has created all things. We see that he's in absolute control, but we see that he is a covenant-keeping God. He keeps his promises. Verse 3 of chapter 4, And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Cornelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. The main emphasis here is not the color of the rainbow. It's the rainbow. And what does the rainbow symbolize? The rainbow always is a symbol of a covenant relationship with a holy God. We find that God made a covenant with Adam in the creation covenant. He made a covenant with Noah. And you know the story that God flooded the earth and afterwards God made a covenant that he would never destroy the earth again with a flood. And he put a rainbow in the sky as a reminder of that. In Genesis chapter 9 verse 12. He says, and God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. 
God made a covenant with Noah and says, I'm not going to flood this again for future generations. And in Deuteronomy, he makes a covenant with Israel. Now, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. The faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. He makes the same covenant with the people of Israel. Then in Hebrews, there's a covenant with the people of God who have come to faith in Christ. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Let me tell you what a covenant is. A covenant is an agreement between parties that you will make a commitment to fulfill your obligations towards the other party regardless of their actions. That's different than a contract. A contract says this, that you and I in an agreement, and if you violate your terms of the contract, I'm free to walk away from this relationship. You have set me free. A covenant says, no, no, no. A covenant is about my obligation to you, regardless of what you do. And what we see all through the Old Testament and the New Testament, our God keeps his promises. Even when we are faithless, he is faithful because he cannot deny himself, 2 Timothy 2.13. And he is always faithful. Aren't you glad that you're not in a contractual relationship with God? Aren't you glad that God doesn't come and say, ah, 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 you broke your end of the deal. I'm done with you. Good luck for eternity. Who would want that? But the fact that even when we fail, even when we stumble, even when we disobey, even when we rebel, even in, when we set ourselves up as kings and queens, God is faithful to keep his word. And you and I can trust that no matter what happens, our God is faithful. Let me tell you what that does for my worship. That enables me to come to his throne without guilt and shame, without the accusations of the enemy, because I know that he loves me and that his love is an everlasting love, and I'm settled in him because of that covenant relationship. Now, the rainbow is used for a lot of things in our culture today, isn't it? I mean, you can buy flip-flops that have a little rainbow on it. You can buy Skittles and you can taste the rainbow. <laughs> but the most disgusting of all things is for a group to take a sign of covenant relationship with the holy God and to degrade it by lifting high immoral activities. But every time we see the rainbow, regardless of who uses it, it's God's covenant with his people. And he will keep it. Number four, he is worthy because all creation will bow to him. I love this. All creation will bow to him. When you look at what's happening in chapter four of Revelation, you see, you see the enormity of the worship that is taking place in a throne room. In fact, there are three groups of people that we see that are worshiping almighty God. We see, first of all, in Revelation 4, 4, 
the 24 elders. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. People ask, who are the 24 elders? There are 24 thrones. Some people say the 24 elders are angels, but there's nowhere in scripture that we see an angel described as an elder or wearing a crown. So we know they're not angels. Some people say they represent the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles, making up all the redeemed people throughout humanity. Some people say the 24 thrones represent the church that is around the throne worshiping Christ. No matter how you look at it, the best picture is always to see that these 24 thrones represents the redeemed people of God who are in his presence throughout humanity, worshiping him. And so you see people, and we'll see in Revelation chapter seven, of every tribe, every tongue, every nation around the throne, worshiping him, symbolizing that they are the redeemed people of God. But then you see something really freaky taking place in verses six, B and seven. You see these four living creatures flying around and with eyes and wings, and, and you're thinking, okay, what is all this about? And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature is like a lion. The second living creature is like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. Now, these are kind of weird looking, aren't they? We don't know. They got eyes all around. They got six wings. They got different faces. And, and, and so some of the things I wonder is if you saw one of these things, what would you do? What would you do? Now, I want you to know I'm a hunter. I love to hunt. And I love to be in the woods. And I walk in the woods when it's pitch dark. I climb up in my tree stands. Matter of fact, this past weekend, I was hunting. And I was up on, in a tree stand on Friday morning, hunting with my bow and my arrow. And while I was hunting, this little fella showed up 12 yards from me, weighed about 250 pounds, just standing there, just looking. And uh, I had my bow and arrow, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm in a tree with a bow and arrow. That's an apparatus with a string and a stick <laughs> with a 250-pound bear. So I, it's not bear season, so I didn't take the shot. So what I wondered is if I saw these four living creatures, would I take the shot? If they came out there, what would I do? Would I run or would I shoot? Well, I'm a Cajun. I'd shoot them and then figure out a recipe for it, you know? <laughs> but the picture here is these creatures. What are they? What are they? And it's really interesting that the picture in, in mind, you could take that picture off of there, that, that cute little teddy bear. In, in the mind there, you see a lion is a lion not the most noblest of all? You see, an ox, is an ox not the most strongest? Is a man not the most wisest? That's very debatable today. And lastly, is the eagle not the most swiftest? And you know what we see a picture of? This is, this is beautiful. Not just all of humanity at the throne of Jesus, but all of creation. All of creation. Everything focused on the throne of God. Everything focused on worshiping him. Everything focused on the glory of almighty God, the everlasting God. And the scripture constantly reminds us in scripture, in Old Testament, that the trees of the, the, trees of the field clapped their hands. In Revelation chapter 8, we see a picture that all of creation is groaning for the redemption of men. And we see that in the throne room, we are not the only ones there. 
all of creation is crying out to the glory of Christ because all things in him will be made new. And you see the most perfect, beautiful snapshot of everything focusing. If you think about this, those four living creatures would either cause us to fall and worship them or run from them, yet they're the ones that fall at the feet of Jesus because there's no one greater. And what do they do? There's another group there, angels. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. And they all have the same response. The four living creatures fall and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. The 24 elders fall down and they say, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they existed and they were created. Let me tell you, when you look at the snapshot of the throne room of heaven, all of creation is at his feet because he is worthy. Let me give you the fifth reason. He's worthy. He is worthy because he alone conquers over all. He conquers overall. Chapter four is the focus of the throne of the Father and the Spirit is before him. Chapter five is a focus of the Son of God and that he alone is worthy. And what do we see in Revelation chapter five, verses one and two? Then I saw in the right hand of him who's seated on the throne a scroll when written, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look in it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. This is a wildly different picture of the Lord Jesus than what we think in our minds, don't we? When we think about the Lord Jesus, we don't think of him in these terms. The father is sitting on the throne. He's got the scroll. Only the Lord Jesus is able to walk over there and take the scroll out of his hand. The description of Jesus is incredible. He's not a six-pound baby in a manger that only can whimper and to cry and to squirm and at the absolute dependence on his mother. That's not the Jesus we see. He's not the copper-toned Jesus with a nice tan and the blonde hair and the blue eyes. He's not the Instagram Jesus that we see that trying to influence people with the feathered hair and a little halo around him. He's the conquering Jesus. He's the one who is conquered. He's the one that is only able to take the scroll out of the hand of the Father and to open it and to fulfill the purpose of the Father for humanity for all time. He's the Lion of Judah, which means he is noble and he's powerful. He's the Root of David, which means that he's the Messianic promised one who is to come. He's the Lamb. The lamb, 28 times in this book, he uses that word lamb for Jesus. Now, I want you to know no country in the world uses a lamb as a single, magnificent, mighty object to represent them. 
Russia has a bear. Britain has a lion. France has a tiger. We have an eagle, but he's a lamb. But he's a lamb that was slain. He is a lamb who died and is standing. He is a lamb who is victorious. He is a conquering lamb. He's not the little kind of passive lamb that you might think about in a field. This is a lamb who is bloodied. This is a lamb who has been beaten. This is a lamb who has scars from the battle. This is a lamb who gave his blood for his people that he redeemed. This is the lamb who has conquered death. He has conquered sin. He has conquered the enemy. He has conquered hell. He has conquered the grave. And he is standing victorious. And when he takes the scroll, many people ask, what is the scroll? Some people say it is a title. It is a deed to the earth. It is a last will and testament. When Jesus takes the scroll, he's the only one who can take it because the only person can have those things is the rightful heir. And he's the only one who can open the scroll. He's the only one who can bring about the fulfillment of God's plan through the cross and the redemption of humanity and bringing us to the ultimate new reality of him forever. And he alone is the one that we worship. What happens and he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people from God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they shall reign forever. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever endeavor. There's absolute glorious worship. Now I want you to hear something. This is a picture of heaven, but it is the desire for the Father, for you and me to worship him today. It's not this mindset of one day when I get to heaven, I worship him. My friend, if you don't enjoy worshiping him now, why do you want to go to heaven? If Jesus were not in heaven, would you want to be there? Do you want to go to heaven because you don't want to struggle in life anymore? Do you want to go to heaven because you're tired of sickness? Do you, not, do you want to go to heaven because you don't like being around lost people? Do you want to go to heaven because it'll be a place of ease? Or do you want to go to heaven because your Savior is there and because you get to see him face to face and you get to bow and you get to take your crown and you get to put it at his feet and you get to stand with all the creation of all time singing holy, holy, holy. Oh, we all talk about wanting to be there and doing that. But why do we not do that now, I think there are two things that keep us from entering into that kind of worship. Why do we not enter that kind of worship? Let me give you. Number one, we set up our own little thrones. We all have our own little thrones. 
We want to be in charge, not God. We want to be sovereign, not God. We want to worship ourselves. We want to worship our little kingdoms. And so here's the magnificent throne of God with the eternal creator of all the ages sitting on us. And we pull out our little tykes throne and we put it next to him. And we want to sit on our pathetic little tykes throne. And we want to worship ourselves. And the reason we don't enter into that deeper worship is because we're sitting on our own throne. And what is God calling us to do? Give up your little tight throne. You see, we think that if we sit on our throne, we'll have power. Has not last year shown us how little power we have? If I can stay in charge, I can control my family. If I can stay in charge, I can control my future. If I can stay in charge, I can control my world. Here's the reality. You and I stink at being God because we have no power. We deserve no worship. And the Lord is saying to his church today, it's time to get off your little tyke throne. And fall at my feet. Fall at my feet because I'm your creator. I'm the one in control. I'm the covenant keeper that loves you dearly. I am the superior one over all creation and I have conquered for you, for you. Give up your little tight throne and fall before him. Submit the things that you worry about most to him. And let him be in charge. Because if not, what we do is we run to the little placebos of the world to satisfy our fears, don't we? We get fearful, so we run to a placebo. We get fearful, so what do we do? We run maybe to a bottle. We get fearful, and so what do we do? We have to deal with our anxiety. We may run to pornography or that emotional relationship with someone else, or adultery. All those are just placebos that never satisfy, but only Jesus will. You fall at him. Here's a second reason. We have not surrendered to Jesus as king. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Here's what you're doing. You're trying to live your life according to these external standards and you've been checking off the box. Worship, yeah. Singing, yeah. Giving, yeah. Loving my neighbor, yeah. Loving my wife, loving my husband, loving my kids. And you're checking the boxes off. But there's no joy. You don't worship because you haven't yielded to the lordship of Jesus Christ. For some of you, that means this. You've heard about Jesus your whole life. You know all the right answers. If somebody gave you an interview, you would be able to answer the questions. But there's something missing inside of you, and you know it. You lay your head on a pillow at night, and you're wondering, just like I did when I was a junior, what am I missing? 
It's surrender to him. And he calls us to surrender. You know what the most astonishing thing to me about chapters 4 and 5 is this. In chapter 4, all the way to verse chapter 22, is what is going to happen. Chapter 1 is the past. Chapters 2 and 3 are the present. Chapters 4 through 22 are the future. And before God shows John anything about the future, he centers him at the throne. Brings him to the throne. And that's where he's calling us today. If you're a child of God this morning and you have erected your own throne, God is calling you to dismantle it and get off of it and get before his. If you're a person here this morning, you know all the answers, but you've never surrendered your life to Christ, Jesus is standing before you as the conquered lamb saying, here I am. Come to me. I will satisfy the things in your life that the world can never do. Worship me. I want to pray for us this morning. Then we're going to worship. We're going to sing. Because he is worthy. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your great love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Father, as we talk about this thing called worship this morning, <clears throat> Father, would you enable us to get off of our thrones? That we would bow before the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the only one who is victorious. Father, for those here this morning who may not be believers, those who may be watching in their homes, who may never have surrendered. They've checked the boxes, but Father, today I pray. I pray, Father, that right now they would bow before you. They would admit that they're sinners. They would confess their sin. And they would trust Jesus as their Lord and walk with him in these days. I ask, Father, that you would do a mighty work in us. Because he is worthy. If you were encouraged by this message and you now have a desire to follow Christ or you just want to learn more about our church, I encourage you to go to scottshill.org slash next steps so that we can follow up with you. Also, if you were blessed by this message, I encourage you to share it with your friends and family on social media. God bless.